Good morning, New Life Church. Woo! Are you guys happy to be here? Isn't church so much more fun than quarry days? Any amens? All right. Saw many of you walking around uh, Main Street yesterday having a good time. Saw a few of you in the beer gardens. I was taking notes. Trust me, taking notes. We have our spies around there. But uh, it's a great weekend here uh, in, in town as we just kind of enjoy community. And uh, I think it continues this afternoon from 1 to 5 downtown. And I, I heard that Betty Ann Semler is in the dunk tank from 1 to 2 <laughs> out at the Youth for Christ. Thank you, Betty Ann, for volunteering. 1 to 2, $3 for uh, five balls to, to dunk Betty Ann. So just head down there between 1 and 2. What's that? Is it $5? Well, you tell them Rusty gives, you got a Rusty deal. You get the Rusty discount. Anyway, it's a good morning to be together. Uh, since we moved to Stonewall a few years ago, we visited the Mennonite Heritage Village a couple times. You ever been there? Of course, we've only gone on free days, free admission days, because I am a Mennonite. And uh, going to the Mennonite Heritage Village when you have to pay, that is a Mennonite conundrum. Um, <laughs> But if you've ever been there, it's a neat place. It portrays life uh, of, of a certain culture at a certain time. And the thing I find most interesting at the Mennonite Heritage Village is the sod house. Many of you know what I'm talking about. But it's a sort of house that a few generations ago many people used to live in. And it's a house made of grass, built uh, maybe two-thirds below ground level, and then it has walls, and it has a roof that's made of sod. Dirt floor, it's only got about two rooms in it. Uh, every time I walk into that sod house, I find it fascinating, but I say the same prayer every time. Something like this, thank you God that I was born in 1981. <laughs> Have you ever, you ever said a prayer like that? Thank you God that I was born when I was born. You made me when you made me. My grandfather, I find this incredible. If he was alive, he'd be in his 80s. Wouldn't be that old of a man. Uh, he was born in a sod house. My grandfather and my understanding is, is they did it that way back then uh, because they're trying to control their surroundings. You know, it, it gets really cold in the winter, and so they build this house mostly under the ground, below the permafrost, so that they can access some of the heat of the ground when it's freezing outside. And then in the summer, when it's super hot, uh, being in the ground, they get some of the coolness of, of the, the ground that kind of moderates the temperature. And this is one of the reasons they built houses that way back then, to try to control their environment. And I'm just really thankful that we in modern society, we've grown in the ability to control our lives, to control our, our circumstances. Now we've got these beautiful things called air conditioners and, and furnaces, and you've got a thermostat on your wall, and all you have to do is go turn it and set it exactly the way you want it to be. And when you wake up in the morning, it's going to be the exact temperature you want it to be. You can control the climate in your house. I, I think that, that's pretty incredible. But in, in modern society, we're, we're expending more and more time and energy attempting to control our circumstances and to control our, our future as well. We call that planning. What is planning? Planning is an attempt to control our future to bring about our, a, a desired outcome. That's what planning is. And as we have the ability in 2019 to control seemingly more and more of our lives, 
we devote more and more time to planning for the future in ways that even a few generations ago, they never did, never thought possible. So we've even invented some, some new terms. Like now we have this term called unplanned pregnancy. You know what they called unplanned pregnancy a couple generations ago? Pregnancy. There's a reason they had big families back then. But now we've come to the point where we're able to exert some control and we plan. And now we plan our families and we ask questions like, how many kids do you want? What a modern question. How big is your family going to be? So we start to plan for the future. We start to plan the shape of our family. We, we, you know, we, we do financial planning. That's become a bigger thing, right? Because now, now we have investments and we have pensions. And, and back a couple of generations ago, you just worked hard to meet today's needs and you hoped when you got so old that you couldn't work anymore that you had enough kids that were working and providing so that you were taken care of by others. You didn't plan your retirement, all these investments. We do that now, financial planning. We even are starting to, to plan our, our deaths, right, in the last few years. Doctor-assisted suicide. Right? In, instead of leaving that to chance or something outside of our control, we, we even want to control our end. And so more and more, we are, we are planning our lives, trying to bring about desired outcomes. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, as we're going to see this morning. We all make plans. Planning is an important part of, of life. This morning, what I want to talk about as, as we go into the book of Proverbs is, is the relationship between our planning and God's guidance in our life. I want to ask one of the, one of the questions that, that we've asked many times is, how can we know God's will for our lives? How can we go about planning our lives but doing it in accordance with God's will? What is the relationship between our planning and God's plans? his guidance in, in our lives. And, and Proverbs is a great place to go to try to explore this and answer this question. And if you've been with us the last little bit, you know that through the summer, we're going through the book of, of Proverbs together and we're hitting at different themes we find there. This morning, we're gonna talk about planning and God's guidance. And so if you have your Bible, turn to Proverbs chapter 16. That's where we're going to spend the bulk of our time this morning, Proverbs chapter 16. And uh, we'll have some of these verses up on the screen here as well. You know, the way we think about the relationship between our, our planning and, and, God's, and God's guidance greatly influences the way we live, the way we plan, the way we experience life. It greatly influences our feelings and our emotions. Um, it can cause us to be paralyzed in life or it can cause us to be really passive in life depending on how we understand our perspective on the relationship between our planning and God's guidance. You see, there's a few different ways to think about it. One perspective we might call humanistic, a humanistic perspective of life which essentially says the future is completely dependent on the choices I make. Every decision I make is consequential completely to my future. We have these things, the future is what you make of it. It totally depends on the choices, the decisions we make in the here and now. And in this way of thinking, and this probably tip, typifies most of our society today, maybe God doesn't even exist. He's not even there to influence. Or maybe if he does, God was, was someone who, I guess, 
had this idea of making the world, but he's not active in the world, he's not interested in our lives, he doesn't have a plan, he's not really involved, right? Our future will be what we make of it, and so you've got um, that, that famous poem that says, I am the master of my fate, I am the captain of my soul. Now if you really think about life that way, that you have complete control over the, over the future, if you really think about that, man, that leads to, a, to, to paralysis. That leads to, to, to fear. If you really think that everything that's gonna happen in the future is a consequence of the decisions and the choices I make today, the full weight of the future rests on my shoulders. There, there was a book, a, a famous science fiction book that came out a few decades ago, I think in the 50s, called A Sound of, of Thunder, and in it, it's this guy named Eccles who uh, takes a trip back in time, time travels backwards, and his guide, when he gets there, there's this path, and they, and they travel through the, the, the path on this path, and, and, and the guide says, don't step off the path. And, and Eccles says, well, why don't I step off the path? And, and, and the guide says, well, if you step off the path, you might step on a mouse and kill a mouse, and if you kill that mouse, there's a million other mice that aren't gonna exist because you stepped on that mouse. And for every 10 mice that aren't there, there's one fox that ain't gonna be there. And for every 10 foxes that aren't there, a bear's not gonna be there. And for every 10 bears that aren't there, there's gonna be a caveman out there who's not gonna have food to eat and isn't gonna live. And that one caveman would become a million people. All by stepping on a mouse. And so, the, the idea, it's called, in philosophy, it's called the butterfly effect, right? Like one seemingly innocuous, inconsequential act can have huge ramifications for the future that we could never expect or anticipate. And if you really think of that, 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 that leads to paralysis in life. The full weight of the future, my future rests on my shoulders. And I think as, as society thinks more and more this way and becomes more and more secular, our society becomes more and more anxious at the same time because of that. Thinking that way leads to uh, deep regret. We, 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 we look back at decisions we made and we say, if only I would have done this and not that. Things might have been different. If only I had made this decision and not that decision. We're paralyzed and second-guessing ourselves and we're filled with guilt and regret if this is the way we think about our life in relationship to God, this humanistic perspective. Well, there's another way to think about life. On the opposite end of the spectrum, we might call that fatalistic. Fatalistic, and, and maybe it's not so common today, but it's certainly typified many cultures, maybe most cultures throughout history and many even today. And, and, and it's saying, uh, uh, to, to be fatalist is to say, my destiny is set. There's nothing that I can do that's gonna change the future, my destiny. It's a foregone conclusion. And so we have this saying, what will be? You heard that? What will be will be, which is a way of saying, I have no control. It doesn't matter what I do today. What I do is inconsequential. It's insignificant. It won't change anything. I cannot shape my destiny, my future. It's determined. Maybe by God, if you believe in God, maybe by fate, if you believe in fate. And if you think that way, and, and many people do, what, what that means is nothing I do matters. Nothing I do makes a difference. What will be, will be it. It leads to, it leads to passive living. 
It leads to apathy, indifference, leads to insignificance. If we think about life with a fatalistic perspective, is there another way? And, and the book of Proverbs and the whole scriptures give us another way to look at this. We might call this the realistic perspective or the biblical perspective. This is what we find in Proverbs chapter 16. We're just going to read verses uh, one through nine. And if you've been reading through the book of Proverbs through the summer, you know that there's a lot of great wisdom and advice here, but you don't find the name of God all that often in the book of Proverbs. It's just observations of the way life works. But here we find the most concentrated cluster of references to God at the beginning of chapter uh, 16 of, of, of Proverbs. And so we're gonna read these first nine verses together. I think there's a thread here that we're gonna follow and then we're gonna look at a few other verses later in the chapter as well. So uh, Proverbs 16 verse one. To humans, belongs, to humans belong the plans of the heart, but from the Lord comes the proper answer of the tongue. All of a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. The Lord works out everything to its proper end, even the wicked for a day of disaster. The Lord detests all the proud of heart, be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. Through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. Through the fear of the Lord, evil is avoided. When the Lord takes pleasure in anyone's way, he causes their enemies to make peace with them. Better a little with righteousness than much gain with injustice. In their hearts, humans plan their course but the Lord establishes their steps. And if you skip down to verse 25, there is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. And then the final verse of chapter 16, verse 33 says this, tying it all up. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. This is quite interesting. In this last verse, uh, essentially, now, now you may know that often they tried to seek the will of God back in those days by casting lots. It's like rolling the dice or, or maybe picking straws. And, and in today's day, we do this at football games at the beginning of the game, right? They, 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 they flip a coin to see who's gonna begin, heads or tails. And what we're told here is that every flip of the coin comes down just as God fixes it to be, just as God determines it to be. These verses speak of God's total sovereignty over the circumstances of life. That what happens is determined, decided by God. And so back in verse one, we see this. To humans belong the plans of the heart, but from the Lord comes the proper answer of the tongue. The man makes the plan, but what actually happens in the end is determined by God. So no plan of man essentially can come to anything without God's involvement. God may prosper your plans, he may uh, redirect your plans, he may stop your plans altogether. If you go to verse nine, it makes it even more clear. Verse nine, in their hearts humans plan their course, but it's the Lord that establishes their step. 
So what the writer is saying, what the whole scriptures show us is that God is intimately involved with the events of our lives, with the circumstances, with, with human history, that things that seemingly happen by random or chance are not happening by random or by chance, but by the hand, by the direction of God. That's what we're supposed to see in these verses here. Now that might sound kind of fatalistic in the end, and it's not, because if you read through the book of Proverbs, you know that the book of Proverbs is predicated on this idea that our actions have real consequences. That's the whole idea. Live this way, and this will happen. You will prosper, you will succeed. Don't do this, because if you do this, it's gonna lead to ruin and destruction. Be wise, don't be foolish. So throughout the book of Proverbs, it's saying that our actions make a difference. They are consequential, our decisions. And so you have this verse, uh, for example, Proverbs 21, verse five. The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. The plans of the diligent. Diligent planning leads to a good outcome, a better outcome. It leads to profit. It leads to prosperity. And maybe that doesn't mean more money. Maybe that just means wholeness and happiness and healthiness is a result of diligent planning. But, but haste, if you act in haste, carelessly, thoughtlessly, impulsively, that'll lead to bad things. That'll lead to, to poverty. Planning it's clear in this verse and in the Proverbs, our decisions, the plans we make, our choices, um, affect the future. They are consequential. Um, and so planning is an essential ingredient in, in prosperity. Now, I've run the half marathon, the Winnipeg Manitoba half mar marathon twice. It's been a while, tell like, I run three blocks and then I take a, a breather. That's kind of where I'm at now. But years ago, I ran the half marathon twice. The first time, um, I just, I, I heard about it in an advertisement somewhere and I thought, that would be fun. And I think it was like seven days away. <laughs> you know what, I don't have anything happening on that date. I'm gonna do that and so I signed up. And initially I was gonna sign up for the full marathon. Wow, we should maybe start with the half. So I signed up for the half marathon and it, it was just days away. I walked with a limp for months, <laughs> literally. I don't, I, I, I got, I, I don't know at what point in that race I stopped and then I started walking. And when I crossed that finish line with all the other 75 year old women running the half marathon, <laughs> That night, I couldn't even get into my bed. My whole knee was swollen, I couldn't even move it. I had to get Erica to come over and actually take my leg and lift it into bed. And it was, it was months that I walked with a limp and I felt pain after that, acting in haste. The second time I did it, I kind of learned my lessons. I need to plan for this, I need to, I need to prepare, not act impulsively, and so, and so I, I, I trained and I practiced for, for quite a long time, and I finished it. And I felt all right. I finished it with all the 58-year-old women running the half marathon, and that was an improvement. That was an improvement. 
right? Planning, this verse says, and, and Proverbs makes clear, is an essential ingredient in prosperity. It makes a difference what we do. And yet, our circumstances and events, we're also told, are determined, are fixed by the Lord. So, so what it says over and over again here is that we make our plans in our heart. Our plans, our choices belong to us. But what happens in the end is determined and fixed by God in ways that we as humans can, can find mysterious. That these categories can be together. That, that what we do matters, it makes a difference in the end, and yet God at the same time is fixing and determining the events of our lives. Nothing happens but by his will, his determination. It's a mystery. How, how, so, so we often wonder, how, how much of what happens in, in life is my doing and how much is God's doing? Is it 50-50? Is it, is it 40-60? Is it 80-20? And, and, and what Proverbs and the scriptures say is it's, it's, it's 100% our doing and 100% God's doing. Our initiative and God's purposes are, are working together in, in ways that don't diminish either. And that's deep and that's mysterious, but you get an example of that in a pro, or sorry, Psalm 127 verse one. It says this, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. See what it's saying? It's not saying if God wants to build a house, he'll build a house whether you swing a hammer or not. It doesn't matter. He's saying, you build a house, but if God's not building the house, the house doesn't get built. If you don't stand watch over the city, the city isn't secure. But if you stand watch over the city and God isn't standing watch over the city, the city is not secured. We see both at work here. Our, our, our decisions have great effect and yet God's will is brought about in his plans and his purposes which he has determined always prevail. That reality frees us. If, I mean, if we really think about that, I mean, and, and it frees us from the pitfalls of other ways of thinking about life, the fatalistic and the humanistic. It frees us from paralysis of the feeling, uh, of, of, of the weight of the future that every decision I make will determine what happens in the future. That's scary. It frees us from the paralysis of total control. And it frees us from the passivity of just saying, God's gonna do what God's gonna do, it'll be what it'll be, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what I do. The scriptures say it matters completely what, what you do and God will do what God will do. We need to, we, we, we need to kind of sit there as a church in, in that tension, in that mystery in our lives. It's so key. If we're gonna be able to, 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 to face life with courage, and diligence, and, and the same for us as a church. You know, we're, we're, at a, we're at the beginning of a new era in the life of the church. God knows what it'll be. And we can stand up here and say, God's got it, guys. God's got it. No worries. God's got it, right? What that doesn't mean is we can all just go watch Netflix and eat Cheetos because God's got it. 
No. But the flip side also isn't true. Boy, man, we gotta get everything right. We better not misstep over here because if we misstep over here, it's gonna have this domino effect that's gonna lead to this and we don't want that. No. We work, we plan, God guides. Those things are working together and that frees us from paralysis, it frees us from that fear and anxiety, it, it frees us from indifference and passivity. And so, uh, I, I guess this is what we need to see. And I don't think we often think about God's guidance this way. Guidance is, is something God gives, but more than that, guidance is something that God does. Okay? I think that's an important truth. Guidance is something that God does. And I don't know that we often think about it that way, but that's what these verses tell us. In verses like Proverbs 19, 21, many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Regardless of what those plans are in the human heart and the actions that are taken, it is the Lord's purpose and his plan and his will that prevails in the end. Guidance is something that God does whether we see that happening in our lives, whether we recognize that or not. God is guiding because this is what he does. And you see an example of that back in Genesis, right? You have the story of Joseph, which many of you know well. You know, Joseph, he was that favored son, the little punk brother that got all of his dad's affection and caused his older brothers to be embittered. And you maybe know how the story goes. In bitterness, they wanted to do away with him, and they threw him in a pit, and then they sold him into slavery. And for years, he languishes in slavery in Egypt, and he's accused of all these terrible things befall him. Man, life was out of control. I imagine he must have just been praying every day, God, prosper me, bless me, guide me. And then he's falsely accused of rape, and he's thrown into prison where he languishes there for years and years and years, praying, wondering where God is in this situation. And if you know how the story goes, you know that through all of that, God used that to put him in a place of influence, of power, where in the end, he saved his whole family you know, from famine, from death. That God had been working all the way along over those many years, even though he didn't see it, he didn't recognize it, he didn't believe it, God was guiding him for this good end. And that's how the book of Genesis closes after he has saved his family and his brothers repent that they had ever done this wicked thing to him. And then it says in Genesis 50, 12, Joseph says, guys, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. Even though your plans be evil and wicked, God, that, that, that cannot overcome and overwhelm the plan and the purpose of God. He took that and he steered that and God used that, even evil for good. So maybe, maybe you can look back on your life like I can. Man, I can look back at times in my life where I sought God's guidance. Man, I've, God, I just need to know your will. I got this fork in the road. What do I do? And and, and maybe you thought you knew, you had these plans that were stymied and you found yourself in very difficult circumstances and you wondered where God was, why he wasn't providing, why he wasn't guiding. And maybe like me, you can look back at seasons where 
you came to that point where you saw at the end of that that all the way along God had been guiding and preparing and working out his good plan for you. I mean, I, I've got times like that and I've told some of those stories and sermons where it's just like, God, thank you that you don't, there's that Garth Brooks song, thank you God for unanswered prayer. Thank you God that you don't always do my will because your will is better. And so I've certainly experienced that in my life where my plan seemed frustrated and God seemed distant and, and I guess this is what we're supposed to understand. Don't ever think that God's not working. Even when it seems like he's absent, he isn't. Even when it seems like he's not working, he is. Don't ever think that God's not working. And also, don't ever think that you're gonna figure it out before the end. Isn't that what it said in, in uh, Proverbs uh, 16, four? The Lord works out everything to its proper end. Some of those things just become known, become understood at the end. And we're not, and you're not at the end yet, where you see and you understand, but you can know even in the midst of whatever that God, that God is guiding because that's what God does. So we shouldn't be saying, well, God has till Saturday. God has till Saturday to give me this answer, to do this for me. God is guiding even when you don't know it. He is directing your path. And so I think this is so key because like me, I'm sure you've been at points where you're just like, God, I need to hear your will. Give me a sign. Give me a note under my pillow. Like, like put something on the billboard as I'm driving to work to give me an answer to this decision I have to make. Even when you don't know that God is guiding, guidance is something that God does. That's what we're supposed to see here. And guidance, of course, is something that God gives. Because when we are making plans and decisions, especially as, 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 as Christians, as people who believe in God, who believe that God is interested and active in our lives and that God does have a plan for our lives, we want to know what that plan is. We want to know what God's will is for us. And so we, act, we, we ask and we seek God's guidance. Listen to what it says in uh, chapter 16, verse three. Commit to the Lord whatever you do and he will establish your plans. Now maybe you've read that before as I have and you go over it really quickly and you think you know what it said. We need to pause and we need to read this more slowly to digest what this is telling us because if we look at it, like I, I found it's almost the exact opposite of what I thought it said, what I thought it meant. So I think normally we would look at that and we would, we would think it said, commit to the Lord whatever you plan to do and, and what you do will succeed. Commit to the Lord your plans and what you do will be successful. But that's not what it says. What, it's, what does it say? Commit to the Lord what you do and he will, and he will make successful your plans. He will establish your, your plans. It's almost kind of the reverse, I think, sometimes of, of, of how we would read what that says. The word commit there means to, to literally just kind of to, to put your total weight on something, to roll, to, to roll uh, your, your full weight onto something else. It means to trust fully, to commit. Trust fully the Lord in whatever it is that you do and your plans 
will be successful. What does that mean? To commit to the Lord whatever you do. Um, I, I think what he's saying is, when you live, strive to live into, seek, uh, seek the will, the word of God, and obey what he tells you to do. Even if you don't understand it, obey. You know, it says in, in Isaiah chapter 55, uh, the Lord says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. God's wisdom and our wisdom are different. There's things that we don't understand and we don't get, but God says and God commands and to commit ourselves to the Lord and whatever we do means to, means to obey whatever it is God tells us to do and accept whatever it is that he gives us. There's that verse, uh, chapter 16, verse 25, which says, there is a way that appears to be right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. But we need to hear that in this day and age. There's a way that seems right to a person. They, they have their own wisdom, what, what they think is right, what makes sense to them. And so they just go by their own wisdom. And it says, in the end, that leads to death. Success is trusting completely the word of God, obeying what he tells us to do fully and trusting him, even if we don't understand why. Through his word, you know, through the scriptures, God's revealed He's revealed who he is. He's revealed his, uh, his character. He's revealed his, his will in lots of situations in life. Should I be faithful to my spouse, God? Should I? Yeah, I told you. You need to be faithful to your spouse. There it is. I've revealed to you my moral will to guide you. And even if all of that, you don't understand how that works or, or, or how that makes sense, obey God fully and then it says, and then your plans will be successful. And, and I think this is what that means. Obey God's word, do it his way, and more and more, you will become a person who makes smart plans. You're going to become a wise person. As you get to know God, as you walk in obedience to his will, fully trusting in him, more and more, you're gonna become a wise person, the sort of person who makes good plans. That's what that means. The sort of person who marries the, well, marries the right sort of person. The, the sort of person who makes good choices with the right motives, what sort of job to take or what to, activity to be involved in. Trusting in God and in the word he has already given to us makes us wise people, people who make good plans. And I think uh, Paul says essentially this in Romans chapter 12, verse two, when he says, Don't, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, which is doing it the human way, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Which means develop a new way of thinking on God's word, on what he has revealed. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind and then you will be able to discern God's will. You will know what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind and then you will know God's will, that which is good, pleasing, and perfect. You know, wouldn't, wouldn't it be nice 
if, if God would just give us a clear answer and a clear word on everything we need to do, every decision we had to make, God, should I do this or that? Should I date her or not date her? Should I take this job or should I not take this job? Should I go into that college program or should I go into that college program? What do I gotta do? Wouldn't it be nice if God just gave a clear word? We just heard him? Or we got a letter in the mail that said, do this. Right? That'd be easy. Wouldn't involve a lot of faith. It, would, it wouldn't require wisdom. We wouldn't necessarily need to trust and it just doesn't work that way. Most, most, and most of the decisions we make are not moral decisions, right? They're not moral decisions. They're, they're, they're decisions we make with, with maybe lots of good options available to us. Sco- you know, school, job, dating, whatever it is. It would be nice to get a clear word from God and I knew a guy, I knew a guy like that who he would only do what God told him to do like literally told him to do. Right? He'd get up, he would only get out of bed when God told him to get out of bed. Try that one on your mom next time. Johnny, get out of bed! God didn't say so yet, mom. <laughs> I would, but God didn't tell me to get out of bed yet. God would tell him kind of which clothes to wear, which, which direction to take to work. He would only respond to that word, but what these verses tell us is that's not the way it works. Be trusting and obeying God's word and as you do that, you're gonna become the sort of person who makes good plans, who is a wise person. You know, I have Pippa, she's seven years old, my youngest daughter, and, and she might say to me, Dad, can, after supper, can I go jump on the trampoline? And I'm glad she asks me that. Okay, Pippa, yeah, after supper, you can go jump for a few minutes on the trampoline. Now, if, if she was in college, and she's 21, and she called me and said, Dad, I'm hanging out with some friends. We're going out to Applebee's, and afterwards, I want to go jump on the trampoline. Is that okay? I would say, what's wrong with you, right? I've raised you. you know, I poured into you. You've gained wisdom. Now make the wise choice. Don't be paralyzed in wondering, having to have the sense of clarity at every turn and every decision, what exactly God wants you to do. God just says, make a decision and I will guide you. Make a decision using my, what I've already revealed to you, what I've made clear to you in my word. And I will direct your path. Just move and I will steer you the way I want you to go because guidance is something God does as well as something that God gives. The third thing I would say, and I think this is, this is important to understand, that God's primary will for your life is not f- the circumstances you inhabit first, okay? God's primary will for your life is not the circumstances you inhabit, but it's the person that you become. Now we... When we think about discerning God's will, like often it has to do with kind of career and relationships and investments and, 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 which, and which town to move to and which job to take and which, which career path and which school and all of these things. And God guides in that, but God's primary will for your life is not those things. It's about the person that you become as you go through life. And, and you see this in chapter 16, verse 8, when it says, better a little with righteousness than much gain with injustice. 
Listen to that. Better a little with righteousness than much gain with injustice. I mean, we want to know what's God's will for us to get to a place of prosperity and gain. You know, I got a good healthy family, got a, got a good stable job, got a, got a good house, a, a, able to make my mortgage payments. What he's saying is that's all good and God will guide you in that, but what God is more interested in is the person that you become, that you are righteous. Better a little with righteousness than much gain with injustice. God is not first um, interested in your career so much as your character. That's what he's interested in. That's his primary will for your life. Not your career, not who you marry, not what program you go into, not where you move, what house you buy, right? God's interest is that you're loving, that you're joyful, that you're peaceful, that you're patient, that you're kind and good and gentle and faithful. That's his will. And, and, and I mean, Paul, Paul alludes to that in Romans chapter 8, that, 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 that uh, famous passage, Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 29. And in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. You've heard that? In all things, everything that happens in your life, God is working for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose, which is he's working all things to bring about his purpose. And what is his purpose? Verse 29. His purpose is that you, that you be conformed to the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. That's what it says. The next words. God's purpose that he has called you to is that you might be conformed, that you might have the character of God, the character of Jesus Christ. That's what he's working all things for in your life. His primary will is not the circumstances you inhabit, it's the person that you become. And I think when we understand that that's freeing because there's been times where, and I think I've shared it before, you know, I couldn't talk to girls if you know the story of how Eric and I got together, it was a miracle of God because God's like, I gotta help this guy out. This guy's never gonna get married. Can't even talk to a girl. And, I, and I'm like, God, how am, I, how, how am I ever gonna get a wife? Like, I don't know how to talk to a girl. And if I liked a girl, I ran the other way, right? Where I was really mean to her. And that's how I showed it, kind of a weird way. And so I was always worried, God, like, what, what if I was supposed to talk to that person, that girl there and... I'm kind of, and I didn't, because I didn't have the courage, and that was, that was my wife, but I missed it, and so all the plans you had for my life will not come about, because that domino didn't fall, and I lived with this fear in my life. Maybe unknowing to me, I have stepped outside of God's will, and I've ruined his plan for my life, and what this is all saying is you can't. You can't. If you are obeying God's will, if you want God's will, if your motives are right, guidance is something God does. He will steer you as you move. And he's not first interested in whether you became a teacher or a nurse. Like, I can't believe she went into teaching. I wanted her to be a nurse. I had all these great plans of all the people she was gonna save as a nurse, but she became a teacher some of you young people, you're wrestling with that. You know, college, what do I do? Where do I go? What does God want me to do? 
That's not a fear we have to have because as we move in response to what God has already revealed to us, God guides us and he's more interested in the person that we become than the circumstances of our life because he can take all of those circumstances and work them to grow us. Even our failures, and that's the beautiful thing about this. You know, we don't have to be those people that are just trapped to regrets, second-guessing our decisions, looking back with guilt, going, man, I really made a mess of things. My life would have been great, but I did this, and I shouldn't have done that, and that was really stupid, and now I've just kind of blown my future. God says, you can't do that. Who do you think you are? No. God can take those failures, he can take those sins, he can take that evil, he can take those mistakes, he can take all of that and use that in our life to grow us and develop us to become the people he wants us to be. That's what he's interested in primarily. So I mean, nowhere does God promise that he will make his will clear to you when, when most of the decisions of our life, that he will uh, give you a sign. And sometimes we say that as Christians, don't we? Oh, he'll make it clear. You'll know. Baloney. There's another B word I can't use there. Baloney. No. The Bible never says that. You'll know. He'll make it clear. He'll give you a sign. And then you go through like, just this anxiousness of looking for that clear word that Asking God to do something that he doesn't do, that he isn't going to give, that you don't need. You don't need. Experience of fear you don't have to have. As we use the wisdom he has given us and as we fully trust in his revealed word and our motives align with God's character, we will make wise decisions he will establish our plans, and as we act, as we move, he will guide, and he will bring about his plans and his good purposes in our lives. Guidance is something God does. Guidance is something God gives, and guidance is something that has been purchased for us by Jesus Christ. Because if you go on there in Romans chapter 8, when he says that God is working all things to the good of those who love him, that is, to the good of those who have put their who have received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of their life, who've put their faith in him. It goes on to say, uh, in some of my favorite words in the scriptures, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will God not also, along with giving us his son, graciously give us everything that we need? Do you hear that? Jesus, through his death and resurrection, has purchased for us God's perfect guidance. the knowledge, the certainty that God is for us. And if we have received Jesus Christ in our life, uh, who is the expression of God's love and his faithfulness towards us, we have the guarantee, we have the certainty, we have the promise that God is working everything according to his good will for our lives. There's nothing he will hide. He will provide everything that we need to do to do his will. That's the promise of God. He will direct you as you move. God is saying, I am in Jesus, I am for you, I am delivering you, I am giving everything you need to do my will. So let's remember that, that God's primary will for your life is not the circumstances you inhabit. It's the person that you become. 
Let's remember that um, as individuals, as families, but let's remember that as a church, as we kind of, we stand on the edge of something new, and we're seeking God's direction, and I hope that you come to that meeting on September 5th so we can pray together and so that we can all participate in a discussion about what we see, what God is showing us, and seeking God's will together. And so as we think about taking this home, I'm a terrible pastor. What kind of acronym is SPAT? That's terrible. That's all I got, guys. It's been a tough week. I mean, it's... You know, as we seek God's guidance and as we go about making plans, just maybe here's a little template you can take home with you. And, and maybe right now you're at a bit of a crossroads. Maybe you're planning something bigger. You may have a, may, may have a big decision laying before you and, and uh, may, maybe you're anxious or fearful about that. Or maybe you're kind of indifferent because you think it doesn't matter. God's got a, he's got that plan and I don't have to be too concerned about my part in that. First of all, seek God's wisdom. That is... Seek his will, what God has told us in black and white and a bit of red. Seek God's will, seek godly counsel, pray. Ask for God to reveal. Once you do, once you do that, plan with diligence. God, if, if you are trusting what he has shown you, what he has told you, then he has given you wisdom to make wise plans. Plan with diligence, with confidence using the wisdom God has given you, and then act in faith, not in fear. Make a decision and act in courage, in faith, that God is guiding. And then as you act, trust fully in Him, no matter what happens. God is always guiding, whether we can see it and recognize it or not. Through all things, God guides, and God is bringing about His good purpose. So remember that guidance is, is more than just something God gives. Guidance is something God does. So as, as, as people, as individuals, as a church family, we need to trust that God is working, that God is guiding even as we work, and he is bringing about his good purpose even as we plan. Why do you pray with me? God, we thank you that um, We can have, Lord, this certainty that many around us do not have, Lord, that you are the one who sent your son Jesus into the world because you love us, because you're a faithful God, because you have a good plan and you have a good purpose for us. And so, through Jesus Christ, we see your loving plan for us, how you have brought us into relationship with you, how you are a good and you are a perfect father and you won't withhold any good thing from your children. It might not be the thing that your child asks for, but it's a good thing. And help us, Father, as your children, to just trust you, Lord, as we go about life and we have many decisions to make, big decisions, small decisions. We have many things that we plan, Father. We do so wanting to be in your will. We want to do that with the right motives. We want your blessing. We want you to be glorified. So Father, as, as, as we go into this week and all that we do and the, the plans we make and, and the decisions we make, Lord, um, just give us the peace of knowing that you are guiding us, whether we understand it or not. Your good plan, 
your good purpose will prevail. This we pray in Jesus' name, and together we say, amen.